Welcome to Where You Are, a podcast that helps families promote their mental health and wellness. We navigate important topics to meet you where you are in your journey. I'm Shar Black. And I'm Michelle Horn. This podcast is brought to you by BC Children's Kelty Mental Health Resource Centre, BC's mental health and substance use information source for families and their children. On today's episode, we're exploring sleep, specifically exploring information and strategies to help kids and their families sleep well to support their mental health. Um, Sleep problems are the number one health concern brought about by parents to their GPs and pediatricians in North America. And we all know that poor sleep can impact physical and mental well-being. So Michelle and I are no strangers to a lack of sleep as we're both parents to young toddlers. How was your sleep last night, Michelle? Not great. Both of my kids were up at about midnight. So uh, I am a little sleep deprived today. How about yourself? Well, I was just happy that when I woke up at 5 a.m., my son was still sleeping and I snuck out before he woke up. So that was a a win for me today. Nice win. (laughs) Uh, So today we're thrilled to be exploring this topic with Andrea Bell and Dr. Smita Nadu. Andrea Bell is a mom of three amazing kids who also struggled with sleep. She's a wellness entrepreneur and advocate for healthy living. And Dr. Smita Nadu is a child and adolescent psychiatrist with a passion for merging clinical medicine and public health. Both Andrea and Dr. Nadu met above the clouds at 30,000 feet, and now they're partners in producing resources on sleep for both parents and school professionals. Andrea and Dr. Nadu, thanks so much for being here today. Uh, We've been starting all of our episodes with a brief mindfulness moment just to kind of get us in the moment and calm our minds and bodies. Would you both be up for that? Absolutely. Great. So today, Shar's going to lead us in a mindful moment. Excellent. Get into a little bit of a comfortable position. You might want to put both feet down. And we're going to do something called 7-Eleven. So we'll be breathing in for seven seconds and then slowly breathing out for 11 seconds. And try to kind of breathe into your belly throughout your body. So you can close your eyes or have a, a gaze ahead of you. So breathe in. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then breathe out. One, two, three, four, five, Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So you can open your eyes whenever you're ready. How are you both feeling? A lot calmer. <laughs> Dr. Nadu, what is the latest evidence saying about how much sleep kids are getting and how much they actually need? Over 70% of children in Canada are not getting enough sleep. That's the first point. That's a lot of kids, right, if you think about it. And that's just the data in Canada. So that's a problem. And uh, the second part of your question, that's a more complex question because the brain is developing at different rates throughout the age of from your born to the age of 25. So the amount of sleep that you need is actually based on chunks of time. So from zero to three, from three to six, from six to nine, and so on. But usually in children age six and over, we're looking anywhere between nine to to 11 hours of sleep. Um, And in puberty, that changes again. And the evidence is now saying around eight to 10 hours. Is there anything new or shocking that uh, maybe our audience might not know? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most shocking things is that we're all in this gray zone when it comes to technology and how technology can affect our sleep and how it can affect our mental health. You know, one thing that I've been seeing more and more in clinical practice is when can I actually use my iPad with my child when they're being fussy or if they're, you know, requiring some like downtime, the parents needing downtime, I mean, and how could that affect the brain even at a young age, even if I'm using it for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes? Uh, Well, the evidence actually in Canada now is saying as per the guidelines that no one under the age of two should really be exposed to a lot of technology. And by a lot, they actually don't mean very much at all. So they're looking at even less than 30 minutes a day and how that can actually affect the way that the brain grows and the attention of of that. So what's very interesting about that new evidence is that not only can, you know, technology and light kind of affect the brain process, it can actually even affect how our sleep process works as well. Sleep really is the main pillar of health that's often not talked about. So we have to be careful and technology, if used effectively in a smart way with a smart value system, can be very, very helpful. But right now, the evidence is kind of gray. So we're not really sure how tech in a even a newborn can affect sleep. It's really interesting for parents to be kind of mindful of that as they use technology with their with their kids and their families. Uh, so, Andrea, I have a question for you. Uh, so we know that sleep is often a challenge for many families, including my family and Char's family. We have young kids as well. So it's very pervasive. And we know that it can impact both physical and mental health. I'm wondering if you can tell us a bit about your family's challenges related to sleep. I guess the first uh, exposure to this was when I was a new mom about 10 years ago. And our first child was experiencing some behavior challenges in preschool. And what was happening is um, the teachers had called us in and said, there's some behavior issues popping up. We need to evaluate this. We're going to call the local mental health nurse to come into this class and observe her in the classroom, which I thought was amazing as a new resource, but very, very scary. The nurse observed our daughter and gave us some feedback. Turned out to be just some different control issues as far as like a new sibling in the house. The child was trying to find control outside of the home. But as a new parent, it was a little bit unsettling at the time. But the the long and short of that is we were becoming sleep deprived, trying to figure out this new situation and trying to navigate new waters. And so together, our family basically became derailed through this whole thing. We did eventually get back on track, but I think sleep is a game changer. And so now, fast forward 10 years, anytime there's anything that's unsettling or anything that's popping up, whether it be from the child or whether it be from our end, we always start with sleep, regardless. It's just the new baseline. Great. Thank you. I think that's a really nice way to think about it as sleeping this foundation, right? That you can go back to and start with. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Dr. Nidu, what do you think is the relationship between sleep and child and youth mental health? Wow. Big I know question. it's a loaded question. <laughs> do we have like another hour for that? <laughs> well, let's think of it this way. When we think about sleep, a lot of us think of it as, as a little bit of uh, an indulgence. 
When we think about sleep, as Andrea has mentioned, it is a pillar of health. Sleep is central not only to mental health, but also physical health. The third pillar is brain health. Physical health means that if you sleep better, your immune system is stronger. You're not having as many flus. Maybe the child is exposed to a lot of different viruses in daycare or at school, but they're not as sick for that long and they can bounce right up. So you have the physical health piece. Then when we think about the mental health piece, 80% of mental health issues have a sleep problem associated with it. Now, if we peel that back and take Andrea's story, like a lot of other mom stories is, well, I saw behavior and I cleaned up the sleep, what's left? Let's say that you try really hard to a sleep schedule and you stick to a sleep schedule, um, let's say for three weeks to four weeks, which usually gives parents enough data to know what is the behavior of the child on a school day versus a weekend versus, you know, staying up late once in a while with family. If you're still seeing behavior, if you're still seeing a lack of appetite, if you're still seeing low energy and irritability and not able to socialize in groups or things that you know that your child is capable of, yeah, that's when we start looking at mental health issues. And then the third extension of sleep that's very important, and I like to tease it out outside of kind of mental health, is brain health. And why that's important is sleep is the most active time. So a lot of teenagers that I see actually that are very high functioning, that have a full-fledged anxiety disorder, do not want to sleep. They think it's a waste of time which makes sense to me. I mean, why would I sleep for 10 hours when I could do some extra homework, be ahead of my class, look really good and get validation from my teachers and in front of my peers? Why not? I just need five hours. Well, the the key message here is that in fact, sleep health equals brain health. And the most important time of brain development first is from the ages when you're born. So zero to three years old, it continues all the way till the age of around 25. The time that you're actually sleeping is the time where you're setting the foundation for good memory, for good executive functioning, and for a lot of skills that children innately do not have because of their immature brain. But if they sleep better, they can perform better. So, Andrea, uh, we've just heard Dr. Naidu uh, very uh, eloquently describe kind of these key benefits of getting enough sleep in the physical domain, the mental domain, as well as brain development. I'm wondering, hearing that, if any of that resonates with you and your family stories. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think social cues they get lost when there's a lack of sleep. So a parent's ability to pick up on the child's cues, mm. as amazing as we are and as amazing as we try to be, we drop the ball when we're when we're begged or we're doing too much or we're juggling too many things. I feel that when my children are on their A game as far as sleep is concerned, or we are as parents, their ability and our ability to creatively solve a problem, whether it be a social problem whether it be um, like a step, like a chess game, my son's into chess. So his ability to strategize on the soccer field, um, navigate with friends at school, whether they're trading Pokemon cards, he's able to look at feelings and emotions with a much clearer perspective when he's had a better night's sleep. 
Dr. Nadu, was there any other kind of benefits of healthy sleep that you could mm-hmm. mention uh, related to mental health for children? Yeah, for sure. I think Andrea has already talked about it in a real life example, which is what we see all the time even in adults as co-workers, right? Like you have a co-worker didn't sleep well, you know, uh, usually it's a Monday morning situation. No one's happy to be at work, even though they love their job. Well, why is that? Uh, probably because you had a weekend, <laughs> you know, a weekend before leading to, that's why we have the Monday morning blues is simply because we have really poor sleep hygiene on Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, all of a sudden we think, well, our brain's supposed to just get it. Our body's supposed to get it. So in fact, in children, the peak time where I see a lot of mental health issues in my clinic are right after spring break or right after or before Christmas break. Those small glimpses of time off are a total disaster for a child's brain, to be honest, if you're not keeping a routine. So what I would say is that not only does it regulate kind of things like memory and executive functioning, but it actually fully regulates the way that the body's body clock or circadian rhythm works. And why that's important is if it's if it's helping your body clock, then it's actually helping your appetite. So you'll get um, cues on the right times to eat. So you won't overeat, for example, all of a sudden if you sleep in, right? And then you're up at like 11 a.m. and you're like, oh, I'm really hungry, but then it's 1 p.m. You'll be actually actually craving very different types of foods because what we know is a lack of sleep leads to excess amount of stress hormones being released. And that's why it leads to all these symptoms that I'm talking about. What are some common sleep challenges that you see in the children that you work with? The most common right now is, let's say, ages eight and over. If I can start there, because that's when technology is seeping into the family's life. The one thing that I'm seeing now is how children cannot sleep without having their iPad in their room, how children cannot sleep because they're not looking at Instagram, um, you know, before they fall asleep and making sure everything's in check socially, for example. This is a different era. You know, and we can push and scream and pull as much as we want, uh, but it's here to stay and it's here to stay forever. The evidence suggests that uh, there should be no screen time two hours before bedtime. And now, as you know, teenagers are getting very smart and they're saying, well, if I have my nighttime kind of uh, app on and I'm not getting as much, you know, blue light, you know, all this kind of thing, then it won't affect my sleep. But in fact, what we're seeing is the evidence suggests that, well, forget about the light that's being emitted from electronic devices. How about the stimulation that occurs with whatever you're watching, whether it's uh, you're on Instagram and you're really worried that so-and-so hasn't liked your picture, uh, that leads to another level of anxiety. So in fact, I would say the main clinical struggle right now is tech and sleep and how to disconnect and how the family reacts around that. And instead of it being Let's take away the iPad from the 10-year-old at 6 p.m. because they're going to sleep at 8 p.m. and take the tech away from the 15-year-old, you know, that sleeps at 10. So therefore, they get it till 8 p.m. And then the parent gets to be on it till 2 a.m. Yeah, that's not going to work. So in fact, what we're saying is from now on, it's here to stay. 
never punish a child with tech. It's not going to work. That's their lifeline. That's their social line. That is not happening. So what we have to actually say is the youngest person in the family. So if, you know, the youngest person in the family is sleeping at 8 p.m., guess what? Everyone's tech is off including mom and dad. There's no reason that mom and dad should be on tech um, unless they're, even if they're on call or if they have um, work to do, they should be out of the household doing that work if it's that important. It's an evolutionary process for physicians as well. We don't really know what the evidence is. We're just starting to see that two hours before sleep gives enough time for the brain to, to relax and to actually be able to fall asleep. And Andrea, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that, if you've experienced challenges around tech before bedtime in your family and how you tackled that. Every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so so since we've started this process, Dr. Naidu and I, I would say it's adjusting the time frame. So it depends on the child. But overall, just rejigging that time that the child uses the technology. We've actually taken a lot of technology out of our house. We've gone lots of technology and then we take it out and then we add it. So I don't know if we've 100% figured it out. But one thing that does work is we don't let them use the iPads at all in our house. We have like a no no iPad rule because my son was downloading apps. Somehow he'd gotten even to my Kindle and he'd figure out how to download it, download things. So there's just no iPads and no phones at all in our house, but they are allowed to use Netflix. And so what we've done is we'll watch sometimes like a baby show, like a Peppa Pig with a three-year-old and that's fine. And if the kids do want to watch a show that's more age appropriate, we'll, we'll sandwich it and we'll stack it around dinner time so they can watch maybe half an hour before dinner. And we do do Friday night movie nights. Every Friday night we'll, you know, we'll get some treats, we'll hang out, we'll all cuddle on the couch and we'll let them stay up later. And that's what we do as a family. So Monday to Friday, there's zero technology and almost always never any TV. On the weekends, they do watch TV. TV, but in the summer, when the sun goes down, the TV can come on. I set a timer sometimes. I'm like, great, you guys want half an hour? Mm-hmm. I set the timer on the clock and I go do my thing and I make dinner. And when the clock goes off, they turn off the TV on their own, uh, which empowers them. And the timer goes off, they turn it off and we move on. It's not even a conversation. And if it's an argument, it doesn't happen again. I just have to be very absolute with with my seven-year-old. And that seems to work really well for him. My 10-year-old doesn't push boundaries the same way. I personally cannot watch Game of Thrones right before bed because I will be up for hours. So I also know as an adult, anything that's really exciting and gets me going and is just the most exciting show I've ever seen, I know it's going to be not an amazing night of sleep, but I I make that decision as a 41-year-old adult. But I I have actually taken myself off all social media 100%. And I, any days that I do work, like if I'm working on our project or a company, I know that I have to turn it off by like six o'clock and I have no, no computer in the evenings for me as well. I also have to be absolute. I'm a bit like myself. I need some better boundaries. (laughs) So I like to push the boundaries as well. I think it comes down to the different personalities. Dr. Nadu, you already mentioned a little bit around this this tech piece, and Andrea talked a little bit of how she kind of structures how she addresses tech Mm -hmm. in her family. What else do you think needs to happen for families to get enough sleep? Uh, Listening to this podcast, Mm -hmm. because (laughs) sleep is the most important thing to hold. It's like the glue of a healthy person, right? That's the healthy makeup of a healthy person. For some reason in society, we've gotten lost in the busyness of of life. 
and we're all achieving for more and more and we're consuming more and more. The sad part is, is that it's a badge of honor to sleep for four hours. So walking into the workplace exhausted, in fact, will give you some level of empathy from colleagues. It shouldn't. If you're going on a sleep deficit model, you'll never be fully successful as a human being. And I think that's the first and foremost thing before we look at rules and we look at, you know, what's happening in, 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 in a family system. Forget about all of that. If we're not talking about sleep, you're not actually talking about health and success. So I think the the number one thing is understanding the importance of sleep and brain development. And in an adult that has a brain that's fully developed, well, it will help you optimally function and manage your time better and actually overall be a better person because you'll be able to respond to nonverbal cues. You won't be in fight or flight mode. Lack of sleep leads to increased stress hormones, which leads to very primitive behavior. The whole household has to understand how does a lack of sleep impact mom and dad and be vulnerable about it, own it. So saying that morning when I was frustrated and I got really mad at you because you didn't finish making your lunch in the morning because I was, you know, busy doing other things. I was really, really angry at you, but really I was angry at you because I haven't been sleeping well for the past week. And I want to change that. And so it's about also closing the loop of behavior. So not just labeling it and letting the child know how a lack of sleep affects the adult, but also, okay, now that I've detected it's a problem, what I'm going to do for the next week is I want you to hold me accountable and make sure that you ask me every morning how I slept. A sleep has to be part of an everyday conversation. How did you sleep last night? Should be a very open-ended question at the beginning of every morning for a family. Thanks. Like I, I actually ask my toddler every morning how he slept. Oh, He's good. always like, good. I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe next time. Maybe he'll eventually ask. Yeah. Yeah. Way, but but I, also, I, you know, answering the question yourself. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because self-reflection is a really important part of good sleep. Yeah. If you want to talk about the impact that that might have had for your family to make it be a part of the conversation, or if there's any other really kind of tangible, practical strategies that you implemented in your family that might be helpful for our listeners. Yeah. So so that we we say that as well. That's something that's um, probably since Dr. and I do and I've been spending so much time together. I ask my kids every day as well. How did you sleep? And my son made a joke the other day and he said, or I said something like, oh, you know, there's been no fighting this morning. Wow, there's no bickering. There's no fighting. It's been such a nice morning. And he pats me on the back and goes, mommy, you must have got a good night's sleep last night. <laughs> I went, me? <laughs> yeah, mommy, you got your Z power. So anyways, so there is a little, there's a little acronym that's that's quite simple for, for listeners. And if you just want to jot it down, it's really simple. It's RED, which is Routine, Environment, and Devices. And it's very, very simple to remember. Um, and ultimately, if you can focus um, and have one little takeaway for routine. So for example, uh, Dr. Naidu always talks about people go, okay, so if I have to pick put, putting my child to bed early or at the same time or waking them up early, which one should I anchor? Obviously, we want to do both, but let, we are not, we're not shooting for perfection here. So Dr. Naidu would say anchor the wake up time. So that would be one thing. So routine, a routine of dialogue. So what am I going to do to create some sort of security and routine in my child's life around sleep? 
So that would be the very first thing to look at and come up with any strategies. Um, and that's obviously what you guys offer as well as us. Um, environment is really important. We want to create a sleep zone. Not everybody uh, has the opportunity to sleep in their own bedroom. Some people share with siblings. Some people are on bunk beds. Some people sleep on mattresses on the floor. So ultimately is creating an environment that feels calm to the child that is free of distractions. So for one child, they may sleep with a lava lamp that they watch, the little bubbles go up and down. And then when the parent or the caregiver puts them to bed, they turn it off. Whatever that environment looks like to that family, depending on their cultural background, there's a lot of people that co-sleep still. So whatever that looks like to you and your family with your own rhythm, look at an environment that is going to allow the child to go to sleep without any, with minimal distractions, something like a little stuffy, anything that makes them feel secure. And then the last one would be devices. Again, looking at when you can time those devices and when you can stack those devices earlier in the day, whether you have a Monday to Friday, no rule with devices, or if you need it for math homework, we're going to do it before dinner. Or if you're going to watch it after dinner, it's going to be before bath. Come up with some rules, stick it on the wall, use the timer. These are the rules in the family. Put it on the wall so everybody can read. If they can't read, draw little pictures. If you want to play with the device, have you done X, Y, and Z, one, two, three, four, five? Is it a weekday? Yes. Well, then you're not allowed to play with your device. It says on this little thing on the wall. So routine environment and device, come up with what works for your family. And uh, again, based on your background, your cultural background, none of this needs to cost any money. So you don't need to be financially rolling in money and create this amazing space for your children. All they need to know is they feel safe, secure, they're not distracted. And then of course, if you can create some sort of sense of intimacy and security right before bed, um, that helps for for the child as well as for the parent. The only thing I would say with environment, if I can just add one thing, is for teenagers. So as they're getting older, a lot of a lot of teenagers have a desk in their room. I, I don't know why that's been <laughs> accepted in society. Uh, I don't know why there's a desk, right? Like, don't be doing your homework in your bedroom ever. Do not have uh, paperwork in the adult bedroom, right? I understand that space is limited in Vancouver, but you know we have to be very clear that there has to be a clear environmental boundary of work and sleep, right? A, a child doing their homework in their bedroom is not a sanctuary anymore. I don't care how good this child is at school, even if they're passionate about school, uh, it does have anxiety provoking feelings attached to it because that's their one job. School is their one job. Uh, we all, no matter how passionate we are about work, we would all agree in this room that work can be stressful. So why put any level of stress in a child's bedroom? Their desk should only be used for crafts, should be used for, for fun things, you know, um, things that are calming um, and a very safe room for them to decompress. But I would say, you know, with environment, we have to be very clear that one thing society has uh, in some ways instilled in our brains and even on Pinterest is, you know, having a desk in your room and it, it shouldn't happen anymore. Well, thanks for both of you for highlighting those key areas to focus on. Dr. Nadu, what if families have tried all these things, the routine, the environment, they don't have a desk in their room, they have simple, like very structured rules around devices? What, and what if they say they've tried a lot, all of these and, and it's not working? Mm -hmm. what, what, what would you say? So to them? it's funny because it happens a lot because, um, you know, um, very often I'll, I'll say all these things in my first assessment. 
call them back in six to eight weeks and they're like, well, we did everything. Now what? Um, okay, you did everything, but have you been doing it every day? Mm, most days. Okay, what's most days? Three times a week. Okay, that's pretty good. Uh, three times a week for the past how long? Oh, about three weeks. Well, no, it's a habit. It's a it's it's like it's like being on uh you know on a tech free diet almost. It's about instilling an entirely new healthy habit in the household that by no means should it all of a sudden occur in six weeks. That's not what we're aiming for. We're aiming for keep pushing at it, keep working on it. Every child, especially if you have children of different ages living in the home, they're going to be going through different crises and different, you know, issues, behavioral issues at different times. I would say most, the most people that come to me, I say, that's great. You're doing a great job. Keep going. Right. Because um, to be honest, like we know, if you can do things, my, my, you know, gauge is if they're doing it on most at least weekdays, then you're already doing pretty good. Weekends are hard, so they're at least they're trying though. And then we keep refining it. We keep refining it. So after six months, yes, the biological clock of the family completely changes. Does it take more than six weeks? Absolutely. But I'll check in every six to eight weeks to see, are you still doing it? Right? Because most families aren't. Now, let's say that they absolutely have internalized everything that we talked about today. They're really pushing, you know, pushing through. It's just like any other mental health issue, right? A lot of people are starting to feel anxious. Let's say they start working out, they start, you know, having a healthy diet, they decrease their workload, and they're still not feeling okay right? That is a time where you start reaching for help. So you've tried all of these things. So again, like we talked about earlier in the podcast, a three-month mark gives you enough data to know what's going on with the child. But let's say you implement all of these things for three months and and you're working really hard on it and you're pretty consistent. Yeah, that's that's a good gauge. And the reason what you'll see is that with good sleep, Anxiety, like a normal baseline of higher anxiety, goes down. A higher baseline of depression or irritability goes down. Um, Better appetite, or sorry, a a lack of appetite, uh, you know, is back to normal. Concentration and energy, all the tenets of what could lead to a mental health disorder should get better in three months uh, to six months. If it's not happening, yes. That's when I would look for help. Thank you so much, Dr. Nadeau and Andrea, for joining us today. I think you've both done such a wonderful job of kind of providing strategies and advice that really meets families where they're at in their journey. I appreciate the work that you guys do. So thank you for having us. It's, it's an honor. Thanks for joining. You can access a number of sleep resources on the keltymentalhealth.ca website, including resources developed by our speakers today, Dr. Nadeau and Andrea Bell. You've been listening to Where You Are, where we explored the importance of healthy sleep habits for child and youth mental health wellness. If you have any questions or comments, email us at keltycenter at cw.bc.ca. Next episode, we'll be focusing on anxiety, one of the most common mental health challenges among children and youth. Where You Are is a free educational podcast. For each month's episode, go to keltymentalhealth.ca slash podcast and hit subscribe. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. We hope you'll make us a go-to resource to promote your family's mental health and wellness from where you are to where you want to be.
Thanks for joining us. And we really hope you get a good night's rest tonight.